0: Hey, what's up? I'm Aaron Dodson, and you're listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. Psalm 119 verse 34 best describes this podcast. The psalmist wrote in the long ago, Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it. In this episode, I'm excited to discuss the subject of the apocryphal books. This is a much-in-needed uh, conversation, podcast. Uh, as you can probably tell, my voice is not like it normally is. Uh, I've had a cold this for the last week, and I'm just now getting to where I can talk good again. So uh, I hope that uh, you can uh, enjoy this episode, and it won't be distracting to you. The apocryphal books. The word apocrypha means hidden And you may hear from time to time someone say, what about the missing books of the Bible? Well, the truth is there were books that quote-unquote missed the Bible, but they missed the Bible because they were never inspired by God to begin with, not because man decided they were not to be in the Bible. God inspired prophets to preach and to write. God decided which books were authoritative by His Holy Spirit. And then those prophets not only preached that message originally, but performed signs to validate the authority from God. No one ever decided which books were inspired. Instead, they merely identified and recognized which books were inspired, and that goes all the way back to the first century when the original autographs were written. You might be thinking, what are you talking about, Aaron? You know, the Apocrypha. Well, maybe you've heard the books of the Apocrypha or the missing books of the Bible. Maybe you've heard it described like that. But let me give you uh, some of the names of some of the books of the Apocrypha that people often claim should be in the Bible. First, Esdras, E-S-D-R-A-S. Second, Esdras, the book of Tobit the book of Judith, the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, the epistle of Jeremy, the song of the three holy children, the history of Susanna, Bel and the dragon, the prayer of Manassas, the first book of Maccabees, the second book of Maccabees. And there there may be some others that are considered like the deuterocanonical books. Uh, or the apocryphal books of the New Testament times. The list that I gave you were books that were written, from my understanding, uh, during the time between the Testaments, between the Old Testament books, and the last books like Malachi, and the first books of the New Testament, the time of Christ. So why were these books not, quote-unquote, accepted as canon of Scripture? I think the simple answer is because the... Uh, the original recipients of the biblical books were living when they were written to them. And these other books were not written then. They were written at another time period after the canon was closed. You say, what canon? What are you talking about, Aaron? Uh, The idea of the canon of Scripture is the rule or the standard of Scripture when when god the holy spirit spoke through the apostles and the prophets such as matthew mark luke john and other writers like paul and peter james and jude etc cetera, etc cetera. they again they wrote these books at god's instruction at god's direction at god's guidance peter wrote holy men of god spoke as they were guided or moved by the holy spirit uh, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. No prophecy of prophecy of Scripture ever came by the will of man. Instead, holy men of God were moved and guided, born along by the Holy Spirit. And so <clears throat> the original, you know, the books of, of the Bible, as we know them, the books, as some would call them, the Protestant Bible. I don't like that terminology because I'm not Protestant, and the Bible's not Protestant You know, the Bible is God's word. So you go back and you you look at these kinds of things and you say, okay, when these things were originally written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all that, what time period are we looking at? Even Revelation. Well, you're looking at the early 8050s to about no later at most, the late 8090s. So all the books of the New Testament would have been written in the first century during the times of of the apostles and the prophets of the new testament era the new testament time uh, men that knew the apostles or were taught by the apostles so the books of the apocrypha that i mentioned earlier uh, those were written from my understanding between the testaments and that should be a a, an initial you know uh, red flag or at least a question mark why were they written during that time? And I'm going to come back to that time period in a moment. Um, you might find an older Bible, of a family Bible, and there's a section of these 14 books called the Apocrypha in them. Uh, <clears throat> these books are spurious books, and they were rejected when they were originally written. They were not originally accepted because the People that wrote them, number one, did not live in the right time frame. Number two, the original recipients of those letters, the people that lived during that period of time never accepted them as being Scripture, nor do they pass uh, the tests that show or demonstrate or evidence them to be inspired. Instead, their character, their nature, their words, their very details hinder them from being accepted. They unqualify themselves from even being seriously considered as Scripture. But let's, I got some things that I want to consider, some principles or some truths that I want to give you, like boom, 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 one, two, three, four, of reasons why these books are not to be considered scripture, but instead spurious books. And, and if I were to, uh, let's see, if I were to look up, uh, the word spurious means not being what it purports to be, false or fake. But I'll come back on that and and, and mention this again in a moment, that that none of these books that are considered apocryphal books even claim to be the Word of God. And I'll come back to that as a reason why they're not be accepted as the Word of God. Number one, consider with me that these books that I mentioned, the apocryphal books, again, 1st Estrus, 2nd Estrus, the book of Tobit, the book of Judith, uh, the book of the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, the Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, the Epistle of Jeremy, the Song of the Three Holy Children, the history of Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, the Prayer of Manassas, the first book the first and second book of Maccabees. None of these books were written or approved by a prophet. And that is so significant that's a sufficient reason to reject them and to not accept them as the Word of God. That's why they're quote unquote not included in the Bible, okay? They were not written or approved by a prophet, a known prophet of God. Number two, they were not recognized by the Jews as inspired and a part of the Scripture. The books of the Apocrypha have never been considered to be the Word of God, never. But you'll note today people, you know, either ask questions sincerely or without knowing or purport these books to be inspired of God when they don't know what they're talking about. These books were never recognized by the Jews, by the people of God, as inspired and a part of the Scripture. Number three, this is significant as well. These books were not recognized or quoted by Christ and the apostles. And that fact is striking. When we realize that Paul, for example, the Apostle, even quoted twice from heathen prophets, obviously at the direction of the Holy Spirit. But these, you'll never read a passage in the New Testament that says, you know, any of these books or any of the phrases or lines or people from these books referring to these particular books of the Apocrypha, you'll never read about them In the New Testament books, the 27 canonical books, Matthew through Revelation, they're not recognized nor quoted by Christ or the apostles. And that's incredible because if God had wanted them to be or he had inspired them, he surely would have put something in one of those 27 books to recognize one or more or all of those apocryphal books, as they're called, to be the Word of God, but they never do that. That is significant. Now, number four, another reason these books are not to be considered as the Word of God. The last Old Testament prophet predicted, he said, that the next messenger coming to Israel from God would be the forerunner of Messiah. That's significant because most of these apocryphal books were written during the period between Malachi and the Christ. Consider with me Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. The prophet said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And this passage is used by the New Testament writers to refer to John. John the Baptizer, who was the messenger who prepared the way of the Lord. That's incredible. So the last Old Testament prophet book, prophetic book, I would add, records, specifies that the next messenger coming to Israel from God would be the forerunner of Messiah, not one of the writers of Esdras, Tobit, Judith, Book of you know rest of the chapters of the Book of the, es- the Book of Esther, the Book, the Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, et cetera, etc., etc., the Book of Maccabees, and so forth. No. So the new, not new, but the people of Jesus' day, in that time, they having that knowledge of the prophet Malachi, they're looking for this specific prophet. They weren't looking for prophetic utterances being made through these other books. The reason why is because they were not prophetic utterances from God. Number five, and this is very significant as well, God's authority, divine authority, is not claimed by the writers of these books. None of these books, the the writers, ever purport that what they're writing is the word of God. Isn't that, folks, you got to consider that? And some of the writers actually specifically disavow the idea that they are writing on God's authority. Consider this for yourself. Look it up for yourself. 2 Maccabees chapter 2 verse 23 and 2 Maccabees chapter 15 verse. Verse thirty-eight, they virtually disavow the idea that they're writing by the authority of God. Wow! So not only do they not claim to be writing by God's authority, they never claim that they're writing books of the Bible, the canon of Scripture, with God's authority and instruction. But they virtually dis—you uh, know—they they they say, look, we're not. That's not what we're. That's not what we're doing. So again. I want to encourage you, look that up. 2 Maccabees chapter 2, verse 23, and 2 Maccabees chapter 15, verse 38. Number six, these books of the Apocrypha contain statements that are at variance with Bible history. And number seven, they're self-contradictory, and in some cases, they are opposed to doctrines of Scripture, the known canonical doctrines. Books. And you can look this up for yourself. You can look into some of the history, some of the details. Um, you know, magical art is taught in Tobias, the book of Tobias. Um, the idea of giving alms, cleansing sin, is taught in the book of Tobias, which is, and the book of Ecclesiasticus, which is false. Uh, the idea of being forgiven by praying a prayer, uh, that is not. That is not taught uh, taught in the canonical books of Scripture, but it's taught in Ecclesiasticus chapter 3, verse 4. He that loveth God shall obtain pardon for his sins by prayer. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, prayers for the dead being mentioned and uh, affirmed and taught in the book of 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, verse 30, uh, 43 to 46. Uh, the idea of purgatory is taught... In the so-called Book of Wisdom, chapter three, verses one through four, uh, an angel tells a falsehood in the Book of Tobias, chapter five, verse fifteen through nineteen. Um, there you know, uh, there's just a lot of things I'm, I could go on. Again, you can look this up; just Google it. You know, contradictions in the apocryphal books, or how does the apocryphal apocryphal books? Uh, contradict the teachings of the Bible, and and you can get enough of those. So I gave you two points in one. Six, the books contain statements at variance with Bible history. And number seven, the books themselves are self-contradictory, and in some cases, they're opposed to the doctrines of Scripture. Let's continue with some other historical facts that show that these books are not to be accepted as the Word of God. Number eight, Josephus. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a mid to late first century historian. He lived at the time of the apostles. He did not regard the apocryphal books as scripture. He stated that the Old Testament books, the ones in our present version, were the only inspired writings. And you can read that in his book called Against Apian, chapter one, verse eight. So there's a, someone, a, a source even outside of scripture who is considered a, a overall a historically reliable his, a historian, reliable historian, he advocates and he teaches, no, those books were not accepted as Scripture in the first century. Number nine, the apocryphal books were not a part of the ancient versions of Scripture. They were first added after AD 300. The Laodicean Council in AD 363 rejected them as being uninspired thus proving that by that time some were claiming those books to be inspired. I read where they first appeared in the the Vatican version of the 4th century. And at the Council of Trent in AD 1546, Catholics accepted six of these books as inspired and added them to their modern versions of Scripture. The books Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Tobit, Judith, and 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Notice that was in 1546 when Catholicism quote-unquote accepted some of these books as Scripture. You're talking about hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, nearly 1,500 plus years after the time of Christ and the Apostles that, that, that people who professed to be Christians were claiming that these books were the Word of God. That should really, really, again, another big red flag. I think there are probably more uh, things that could be considered that would help to show. But if you've just been wondering about these things, what I would like for you to do, if any of this is new to you or, or interesting to you, is go and search and do your own homework, and you will find these things to be true and other things connected to them to further carry out the idea that these books were never considered in ancient times as Scripture. It was in more modern times that some people tried to accept them as Scripture. Um, And so, you know, don't, um, don't just accept what I say, like I said, but do your own homework. Just like I would encourage you, you know, don't don't believe what people say about these books instead do your own homework look you know look to history and and look back to the different uh, characteristics uh, that we uh, accept or that we acknowledge rather that are found in the 27 canonical years now i want to address one other thing though some will say but the septuagint translation has some of the apocryphal books in it, so what is the Septuagint? The Septuagint was and is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translated somewhere around one hundred fifty maybe 200, 200 bc a couple hundred years or less before Christ came to earth. now did the were there apocryphal books? found in the Septuagint translation of the biblical books. Yes, yes. But does that prove that they're the word of God? No, it doesn't prove anything. What it does is it testifies that the Alexandrian Jews translated other religious material into Greek apart from the Old Testament canon of Scripture. A Greek translation is not the same thing as a book being part of the Hebrew canon. As having been known to have been written by a prophet of God of the Jews at that time. Let me repeat that. The Apocrypha is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And just because some of the non-canonical books, the Apocryphal books, were found or were quote-unquote carried with or included in or around the Greek translation of the Old Testament does not prove that they belonged in the Hebrew canon. It merely shows that these Alexandrian Jews who were from the area where the translation was made, they translated other material into Greek that was separate from the Old Testament Scripture. You know, it might kind of be like it might be like um, having a little short historical book stuffed into the side or in the middle of the pages of your Bible. You know, having a footnote that has a link in a digital book to historical information that might supplement that particular section or that particular book. Sure, there were other books being written during the times of the books of the Bible. That's, there is no way to doubt that. Only a, a careless or very ignorant person would argue such. But again, the Septuagint translation doesn't prove anything. Matter of fact, I have read sources that say there's no evidence that the books of the Apocrypha were in the Septuagint during the time of Jesus that the earliest manuscripts that contain them date back to the 4th century A.D. Wow. 400 years after Jesus. So that does not demonstrate that the books of the Apocrypha were part of the Septuagint even in pre-Christian times. And even if they were in the Septuagint at that time in the early dates, again, it is noteworthy that neither Christ nor the apostles ever quoted from them as they did nearly all the old testament books so I wonder why some of these books were found in in greek translations of the old testament there's no clear answer. Is you know as to what the first century Septuagint even contained. What I read here is that one source says that the fourth or fifth century Greek manuscripts in which the apocryphal in which the apocryphal books appear have no consistency with the number of books or to their order. Surely, something to consider. Again, I want you to go and, and and do your own homework and 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 consider these ideas further. Okay, there's other things that we can consider. That early ancient, you know, people that knew the apostles, they were rejected by these guys and so forth. But I think we've given I've given sufficient reasons for. Not only red flags, but for the complete uh, rejection of these books as being inspired of God. Let me close with this thought, though. I have heard by good conservative scholars that 1 Maccabees, the book of 1 Maccabees, can be helpful historically to read about that time period of the Jews between the Testaments. So... I would never condemn, I would encourage someone, hey, read these, be familiar with them. The more familiar with these apocryphal books you are, the more you will recognize they do not exhibit the characteristics that the 27 canonical books do. They show themselves to not be the Word of God, but instead the work of uninspired men of that time. I hope some of these things that I've said have been beneficial and useful to you. I'm Aaron Dodson. You're listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. There's more that could be said. If you have questions, you can find me on social media. Send them my way. I may have a follow-up episode of this in future times with more details. But I hope that you've enjoyed this. Let me close with this great idea. As children of God, as Christians, members of the church, if we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, then he has the ability to write a book, and not only that, he has the power and the ability to preserve his book, and to make sure that the right ones that he wrote, the ones that he intended to 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 contain to and make up life and God, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has the ability to protect his book. Don't fall for the lie, for the bad idea. Oh, the Catholic Church wrote the Bible. The Catholic Church manipulated the Bible and all these kinds of things. If God is able to create the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, if he is able to walk on water, if he's able to raise the dead, folks, he can not only write a book, but he can write it where we can understand it, and he can preserve it for 2,000, 3,000 years 10,000 years, 20,000 years if need be. God has that ability. He can do that, okay? And if you're a child of God, you've given your life to Him, that means you're a child of God, you're a member of Jesus' church, then that concept, that argument, can help rest in your mind to give you peace about the ability of our God that He Mm -hmm. can prevent His book from being overtaken And if God wanted there to be 65 canonical books, He would have done it. If He wanted there to be 67 canonical books, He would have done it. If He wanted one canonical book, He would have done one. If He had wanted 1,000 books in His book, He would have done it. God did what He did, and He preserved what He preserved. We have the Word of God in the 66 canonical books of the English Bible. May we praise God for it. Read it. Study it, love it, and live by it. Thank you so much for listening. If this blessed or helped you in any way, do me a favor, be the algorithm. That means click the share button. Tell others about it however you can tell them about it. God bless, and I will catch you next time.